0: From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Welcome to another episode of the Cannabis Podcast. If this is your first time stopping by, well, thanks for stopping by. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the information on cannabis, my favorite plant, that we're gonna cover for the next 30 minutes or so. And what is up this week? Well, we're gonna talk about retail in BC. There was a major announcement this week about retail in BC, where we can already order online, but a big change in how we can pay for that order. That is something we're gonna be covering. Plus, I have a great interview with Corey Waldron. Corey is the CEO of Mood Cannabis. They have two stores in Nanaimo, BC. And he and I had a very good conversation with that covers, among other things, the cannabis clustering that's occurring in some cities where we have a few too many cannabis stores too close together. So that conversation is coming your way. Plus, we're going to discover how the heck some of our cannabis gets purple. All of that and more is coming your way on episode 51 of the Cannabis Podcast. Since we talked to him last week on the Cannabis Podcast, it's kind of appropriate that he's the source for the today's story as well. I'm talking about David Wiley and OkanaganZ.com or the OZ. Everybody wants an ounce, right? <laughs> Fabulous website, does some really great stories. And today he's covering an item that occurred in BC over this last week. And in terms of cannabis retailers in BC, this is a big item. This is something that has been talked about for a long time. We've already seen some changes with COVID-19 in that most stores have been allowed to have an online ordering system where that can then be reserved in store, where the customer comes in, pays for the item, shows their ID, and leaves. Well, the big news is they're removing one of those steps. In the future, now they haven't given a start date to this, but the whole idea is, that you're going to be able to order online and pay for it online. So that when you come into the store is literally just to show your ID, prove who you are and that you are of age and to walk away with your product. Really reduces the time in store. So that's what this story is all about. And this is the OZ. Laws are loosening around the sale of cannabis at private retailers. BC cannabis retailers are now able to make sales online and over the phone, but customers will still have to come into the store to show ID. Meanwhile, provincially operated VC cannabis stores still have an edge, as they can make sales online as well as ship to customers through Canada Post. The province made the announcements Tuesday of this week that it had amended legislation to allow the policy change, which comes amid strict health regulations for social distancing during COVID-19. Previously, private stores could only reserve products online, as we spoke about, but not take payment. This change responds to a request from private retailers as they continue to follow the mandates of the provincial health officer, said B.C. Attorney General David Eby. It supports public health and safety by reducing the amount of time customers need to spend in stores and allows them to remain physically distant from employees and each other. The province said it is considering proposals from private retailers for delivery of online cannabis. And that would be the next phase that I would expect to see soon. We've heard from legal cannabis retailers that they want more tools to help increase competitiveness with the illegal market by allowing online sales, said Mike Farnworth, Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. By offering online sales for cannabis products, we can support the growth of a vibrant legal cannabis industry while also keeping public safety as our top priority. Sarah Ballantyne, who we have spoken to in previous episode here on the Cannabis Podcast, she's the owner of Spirit Leaf & Vernon, She said she's pleased that the B.C. government is making steps to make legal cannabis more accessible, especially during this global pandemic. One of the goals of legalization is to eliminate the unregulated market, and we're making progress, but there is still work to be done, she said. We strongly urge the B.C. government to allow private retailers to offer delivery service. This service will also allow for the vulnerable population to access cannabis during the current pandemic. Ballantyne wrote to the LCRB in March, requesting online payment and delivery. Her request was promptly denied. She reached out to her MLA, the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers Group, and various other government officials. Online payment is just one piece of the resource we need to operate effectively during this pandemic in order to keep our staff and our customers safe, she said. And I totally agree with Sarah. Love to hear her comments because I think the next step is, is kind of intimated in that story. The delivery is the next logical solution so that we can get, again, to one of the points made in that story, really hit at the black market. Yeah, I know you're waiting for your dealer and you give your dealer a call and he shows up in an hour or you, you meet wherever. <laughs> but I think it's gonna be cool when finally the legal stores can get to that stage where the orders are paid for, everything happens and it then is delivered. We can eliminate that step of even coming into the store. So that's some news that has happened this last week in the cannabis retail world here in British Columbia. And I'm not sure what the state is in the rest of the country. I know, uh, as indicated in the interview in today's episode, too, the prospect of cannabis stores being a little too much for the population to handle is something that I think every jurisdiction is facing, although perhaps Alberta is facing the biggest issue of that right now. But there we go. There's another perspective and another change that has happened to the cannabis market here in B.C. And now we can order online and pay online. I hope that actually comes to fruition sometime soon. From the Cannabis Infused Studio in the Clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. It's always a pleasure when I hear from listeners with ideas for suggestions on the Cannabis Podcast. A listener by the name of Corey contacted me last week. Corey is the CEO of Mood Cannabis. They have two stories in Nanaimo, BC. Very cool concept. I love the name of the store. And he and I had a great conversation about cannabis clustering, among other things. And we pick up the conversation just after Corey and I have connected. Well, thank you for contacting me as as always, as you know, by being a listener, I love to hear from people who are listening to the show and you are clearly a connected guy. So I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the show. I've, uh, I've listened to every episode that you've put out. And uh, yeah, I just want to say uh, well done. I think you're doing a great thing for, uh, for legal cannabis in, in Canada. Keep up the
0: good work. Well, I, I truly appreciate that, Corey. I've been having a blast doing it. And, and it's interacting with people like you that, that, that truly make it a lot of fun. So I am joined today on the Cannabis Podcast by a, a, a fellow who has been a listener for a while and who is, is as involved, if not more involved in the cannabis industry than I am and many others that I've spoken to. And is in fact, his name is Corey Waldron. And Corey is the CEO of Mood Cannabis, who have two stores in Nanaimo. Corey, welcome to the Cannabis Podcast.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: One of the things that Corey thought was worthy of some discussion, and I agree wholly, and that is in relation to retail. One of the, th- the things that you brought up, Corey, in, in the discussion was this, this this density of cannabis stores, which we're experiencing in, in many cities and towns, not only in B.C., but right across the country. So what is the, what is the proximity to your store? What do you have as uh, competition around you? Sure. Well,
1: in the city of Nanaimo the government's uh uh, they're essentially their bylaws are that uh, a a store can't be closer than 200 meters from from another cannabis store okay and uh you know initially uh, initially that uh when we started plotting that on a map it didn't look too bad given the location of you know several of the malls and things like that but but now uh you know we're in well into legalization and we're starting to see you know a few stores open up here and there and and now we have uh, multiple stores sort of uh uh, in the queue, um, yeah. in here in Nanaimo, uh, fairly close to our stores. And uh, but the reality is, it's just um, it's it's too close. And and the reason why I say that is, um, an over density of stores um, is not a sustainable uh, method for for cannabis stores. And the reason why is that essentially we all we're all purchasing at least in BC, anyways, we're all purchasing from the same uh, supplier, which yeah. is the LDB. And they're also a competitor in the retail market. That's right. And so when you sell, we're all selling the same, essentially the same items or the same products at roughly the same prices. So there's nothing that really differentiates you from another store. And when you have too many stores doing the, you know, selling the same things at yeah. the same prices, um, it's, it's really a race to the bottom. And because we're, we have government stores to compete with who are currently operating at extremely low margins, um, right. you know, it, it really will be a race to the bottom. And um, so, you know, what we're trying to do is uh, educate uh, local councils, um, you know, in the fact that we are different than other industries and the fact that mm-hmm. um, we sell similar products. And for those reasons uh, they, you know, they should start to think about limiting the amount of stores in cities, or maybe even putting a cap on the amount of licenses like they've done in some liquor stores. Yeah, And then by doing that, you know, we all have a much better chance of being successful. And then your your license is actually worth something as well.
0: Uh, very good point. And, and uh, we've seen so much of that. Uh, interesting that in Nanaimo, it's 200 meters. In Kelowna, it's 500 meters. And uh, a, as I had mentioned before, and we've talked about before on the podcast, went to a public hearing here because there was a third store that was going to come in between us and another store that opened, uh, Flora opened up and and they were, this was going to be smack dab in between us two. But if it was in your location, it would have gone through because it would have been in 200 meters.
1: Actually, I do stand corrected. It's actually 300 meters in the
0: 300 meters. Okay. Well, good clarification on that, but that's still pretty close.
1: (laughs) It is pretty close.
0: Yeah. And, and, and you bring up a a very valid point of how difficult it is for the retailers in BC to compete with the government stores when they're already doing their own discount. You know, in terms of what they're paying for the product, it it's insane from my perspective.
1: Absolutely, that's um, that's something slated on our agenda for the future is to is to try and educate uh, the public as well on uh, sort of the status of the the government stores and their plans for expansion across the province.
0: Yeah, in- interestingly enough, they've tried a couple of times to get into the Kelowna market, and and their first initial one actually failed because they didn't complete the application enough. <laughs> Oh, interesting. <laughs> Which I thought was really interesting. Corey is also, um, he, you've mentioned a couple of times about some initiatives that you were discovering, and I'm going to assume that those are with the Association of Canadian Cannabis Retailers?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, so I sit on the board for uh, Acres, and uh, yeah, we've got uh, quite a few initiatives in the works right now. And um, really, Acres is an organization that uh, looks out for all private retailers in not only B.C., but, but Canada as well. And uh, But our main focus is in B.C., and currently we've got around 29 members and, uh, yeah, they've done some really great things for the industry and, uh, we continue to push for, uh, you know, for advocacy and, and uh, you know, create better policies that uh, we can all benefit from. And one of those things is, um, store density. Uh, that's currently one we're working on. And, um, uh, so expect to see some, some good things come out of that. Some of the other things that we've worked on too in the past is, uh, um, you know, through the LDB, uh, whether it's um, you know, working on their shipping rates or some of the ordering uh, policies. Uh, one of the recent ones that we've we've all seen come to light is uh, uh, the uh, window decals. Um, you can now remove uh, window decals, uh, and that was uh, that was one of the initiatives of, of Acres that's uh, okay that's had some positive effect.
0: So the density that, they, that you speak about, how many stores are you expecting or has the city already approved in Nanaimo that are not yet open?
1: Um, I think we have around half a dozen. There's around five or six currently open, and I believe there's around another around another 14 applications in the queue. So that puts us over 20, 20 stores, assuming those applicants make it through the, the process. Uh, That puts us over 20 stores in a city of roughly 100,000 people. And uh, what Colorado's done, I mean, Colorado's had legalization for a few years now. So uh, we can use some of their data, what's worked and what hasn't worked. And uh, they've come up with a a sort of a population to store ratio of uh, 10,000, roughly 10,000 to to one store. And anything less than that number um, is sort of borderline sustainable. And uh, so that's kind of what uh, what we'd like to shoot for is, is something like, the, uh, given that situation, to the amount of applicants we already have in the queue mm-hmm. uh, and the stores that are already open, essentially doubles, takes double over that. And I'm not sure what Cologne is like, but it's probably fairly similar. Uh,
0: very, very similar. That, that's a really interesting stat that you pulled out. I had not heard that, and I'm glad somebody, and I, I agree with you, Colorado is a perfect environment to get those figures out of. They've been doing it for so long now. Uh but but like you here in Kelowna, right now five stores have been opened. Uh there was a new one just opened last week called Canabician, I think. It opened out in the mission area Kelowna. And but there is still fifteen stores that have been approved by the city that the province has not yet licensed. And when those come on, I mean I suspect, you know, perhaps as COVID slows down a little bit, we may just see some bang, bang, bang. Suddenly there's another fifteen stores in the city. And like you say, Corey. I wonder about the sustainability of of that many stores in this market. I mean, we are we're probably around one hundred and fifty now, maybe one hundred and seventy five if you use the outlying region. The, you know, the the whole Central Okanagan, but in the city of Kelowna, we're probably about one hundred and thirty now. I think. And so, it, and, and as you mentioned as well in in your communication with you, we're always seeing stores in in Alberta, which has the most number of stores in any province, but they're struggling, right?
1: That's for sure. In fact, I just I just got back from a trip to Alberta. Um, about a week and a half ago and uh this was in calgary and i managed to pop into a few stores and there was a uh, one section uh, just south of calgary in Okotoks. and there was um, three stores uh two of them are directly across the street from each other and another one within within a block and um yeah we're already starting to see some some stores in alberta shut their doors um just because of an over density of licenses which is unfortunate but uh and the only way that's going to change is through. Um, it's not going to be through applicants because, uh, you know, I find with applicants if if they can find a nice strip mall that, that you know, there's a little bit of tunnel vision that that's happening. If they find a, a nice location, they tend to forget about the store that might be right across the street. So I really think the solution is is to individual well First of all, it'd be the maybe the provincial. Body to to regulate the amount of stores, but uh, at the local level, it'd be the, the city councils to you know individually say, yeah, in this city, we're only going to allow this many stores, or you know, essentially put a cap on it.
0: And, and I think the other thing that's missing in in this you know interplay between the municipal and the provincial governments is, as I found when we went to that public hearing with our local city council. They were totally unaware that it was taking that long for the stores they had approved to finally get their license and open up. They were totally unaware of that fact.
1: Yeah, and that's a, that's a good point because, um, you know, earlier on, we talked about, a bit about, um, uh, you know, the store, store density uh, and, and why uh, how we're all selling similar SKUs at uh, similar prices and for that reason alone um they should maybe uh, expand their parameters or put a put a cap on the the amount of stores but um the other reason is uh, is for what you just mentioned as well um so uh, that's important
0: too. Yeah, it really is. And, and and I was totally blown away by by their ignorance of, of how long it went. And I could, I could see the look in some of their faces when I told them that I had been in communication with the guy that I work for for almost a year, waiting to work in this store, and it still wasn't open. And here we are debating whether another one should have a chance to open, bypassing all of that length of time. And just insane.
1: So, Absolutely. Yeah, given the amount of licensing time and, and the amount of the investment. I think that city council should have a uh, you know they they're really there to support the the growth of small business and by and by uh, not recognizing or not understanding sort of uh, how we are different than other industries I don't think uh, for that reason they're supporting us uh, as good as they could be.
0: No and 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 to that point again just simply by the fact that they don't realize that these stores they approved well over a year ago they're gone they're, they they don't consider those when they're looking at a new store application. No, it, absolutely. They don't have that right perspective. So, very interesting. So, tell me a bit about mood cannabis. How, how did that start, Corey? Where did, where did the idea come from? And, and give me a bit of, of your background. How long have you been involved with cannabis?
1: Sure. Uh, I, the, the idea for me for, for mood cannabis came about mm, probably about three and a half years ago um i was looking for something uh, to get out of the industry that i was in Uh, my background is in the automotive industry and um, i've been in that for 20 plus years so i was looking for a change and uh, legalization was about a year down the horizon and so i started researching into a little bit and uh, decided that uh, i was going to open up a, a store a couple of stores and um And, uh, you know, my hometown is in Dynamo, B.C. And so I thought that would be a great place to do it, even though we have, you know, uh, the island has a a strong history of uh, legacy stores, which is fine. But uh, because there's also some some fantastic growers on the island here. And so I wanted to be a part of the industry, I I put the plan in motion and um, roughly, you know, just as legalization was happening, I was ready to to roll and we'll like you said, it, it took about a year uh, to get through the process. And, uh, yeah, here, here we are, uh, two stores, and uh, maybe we might continue to expand a little bit. But uh, finding that right location is absolutely key.
0: Yeah, it totally is. And and, and I love, uh, again, in, in your on your webpage, uh, the description at Mood Cannabis, located on Vancouver Island, it's their goal to help you find your desired effect, your state of mind, your mood. That, I that. That really rings true for me, Corey. Well done on that. that that's some good fun. Thank that.
1: you. That's, it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, when I was trying to come up with the, the company name, it's, uh, it, it's exactly what I thought. I mean, based on different cannabis strains and, uh, and the terpene profiles, it's, uh, you know, what we do at, at the store level is really about recommending products to people based on their desired effects and their desired moods, really. And so, um, I thought mood was a uh, fit and an appropriate name.
0: So yeah. I'm and and, and I love as well that, that you call uh, your bud tenders mood makers. I think that's cool too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Originally, uh, you know, we had bud tenders on our mind and then uh, as uh, we started coming up being with more uh, play on uh, mood words and uh, so yeah. mood makers it is.
0: And, and what's the diversity of your clientele?
1: It's, um, you know, here in the we have a lot of retired people. And so it's, uh, it's really, it's really all over the map. We have uh, quite a few younger people that come in and uh, middle-aged. And then uh, I'm happily surprised to see the amount of seniors coming in as well. It's, uh, it's I love having conversations with, with them when they come in. It, it tends to be the same thing you know, with them all the time. They're looking for replacement for opioids and, and they don't want to take uh, painkillers anymore. And so they're looking, uh, they've heard that cannabis and and CBD oil and THC can help with uh, some of the different things, and so yeah, it's been it's been fantastic. I really like the the diversity of our customers. It's
0: great, yeah. and those are the the fun conversations, aren't they? Just absolutely, especially for those and 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 I find that there's two kind of areas that that we find there's those that are coming in by themselves, as as you've indicated, uh, but then the ones that I'm really intrigued with are the ones that are coming in with either their son or their daughter who is introducing them to cannabis. And, and trying to get them off the op- opioids. Those I find, do you find you're getting some of those as well? Absolutely, yeah. So let me ask you uh, a series of questions that I usually ask all of my guests, Corey, and uh, they're not too strenuous, and I, I think be, you're capable of handling them. Uh, what's your favorite cultivar? Whew. That's a tough
1: call. I do have, I do have a favorite um, producer right now.
0: Okay, that's a good and, way to uh, answer I'm, that question. Sure. I'm gonna, go
1: at the, I'm gonna go at the at the producer level. Okay, sure. And it's it's the one uh, we've had now for several months and it's still one of my favorites is the the simply bare organic cannabis. I think yeah. is outstanding.
0: Yeah, they are pretty good, aren't they? Their latest blue dream is, is making a lot of noise.
1: Yeah, their Blue Dream is really good, and it, their Creek Congo, too, is another one of my favorites.
0: And and it, it, as a bit of an aside to that thing, I was uh, followed Tommy Chong on, on Twitter, and somebody asked him his favorite uh, strain or cultivar, and, and his response was cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, funny. That's a pretty good response, too. Um, so do you prefer uh, joints, or do you vaporize?
1: Uh, for the most part, I, I vaporize. I'm a big fan of the dry herb vaporizers. That I love the the terpenes. I love the flavor. Uh, it's not, uh, you know, I'm uh, on the close to 50 years old now, and so not a big fan of smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I really like the dry herb vapes, although occasionally last night I, I had a, a pre roll joint, one of the the Reddys uh, 10 packs, and okay, and uh, I find those are those are nice too.
0: Have you tried these the Simply Bear pre rolls that that they. Just, we just got some of those in the last
1: week. We just got those in actually yesterday. So I have not had a chance to try them yet, but I'm very excited to.
0: Yeah, they, they are coming back with with rave reviews. Excellent. So when you imbibe, Corey, do you have a favorite munchie? How favorite munchie?
1: Oh, I'm going to have to go into the nacho chips, unfortunately, ah. but they're so good.
0: That, well, there's no sorry about that. <laughs> It's whatever works for you that that matters to that question. (laughs) Um, Are you an edibles person or do you, do? uh, I know that you have an interest in flour already, but do you also do edibles? Let me ask it that way.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay. In fact, uh, yeah, big fan of um, uh, the gummies that are on the market now. They're really quite tasty. And uh, yeah, I um, I generally will, will take one of the one or two of those before bedtime, and I finally sleep like a baby through the night.
0: Oh, nice! So so you've figured out what your dosage is uh, down the edible Absolutely, stage. nice, good yeah. for you. I'm I'm yeah. still I'm still struggling to find to find where mine is, and so far I'm up to about thirty or forty grams. And, and is that right? Yeah, it still hasn't quite done anything for me, and that becomes expensive when when you, you start. It to certainly find does it at that stage.
1: Yeah, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a lightweight, so it doesn't take me very much as far as edibles to to feel the, the I,
0: effect. I envy those those who are out there that are lightweights that that can can do that with a small amount. I wish I was in that state. So, uh, some <laughs> terminology a terminology question now. Um, what do you call the uh, running joint?
1: We like, call the running joint. Yeah,
0: like as the as the as the flame is running down the side of that joint. Do you have a have a word that you refer to as that?
1: Uh, well, I'm a bit old school. I still call it a run.
0: Okay. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. And that's and that's why I asked that question, because it still varies. Canoe is the most popular answer um, yes. in that. And then uh, the white rabbit was another one that I heard um, ah, that was in, in Quebec. Interesting. Yeah, interesting across. And the other terminology question, and I think I know the answer to this question, because I think you're from BC. You said you're from Nanaimo, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're probably, when you refer to an eighth of an ounce, what do you call it?
1: It's an eight.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I, it's an eight. It could
1: be 3.5 or half quarter too, but.
0: Uh, yeah. It was funny. We had a guy in the store. He's been a, he's a fairly frequent customer. Um, and he was in the store the other day. I was doing some stocking. I wasn't working with him. Somebody else was. And I heard him in the back say, yeah, can I get a half quarter of that? And I, I couldn't help it. I, I turned around and I looked at <laughs> him and I said, from Ontario, right? And he said, was the half quarter, wasn't it? <laughs> I said, yes, it was. It's yeah, uh, very, it's a very. Good giveaway every, every time. It is a, a dead giveaway every time. So yeah. if if the powers that be were listening to us, Corey, and uh, you had the opportunity to say, "Here are three things that I think need to be improved to in this industry, to to improve the legal world for all of us," what would those three things be?
1: Uh, that's uh, right at the top of the list would be to assist. Uh, we really need to get some of the micro growers on board in, oh, yeah. uh, in Canada in BC in particular. Um, so that would be number one. Um, you know, the, the, the government seems to think that uh, the way to offset the black market is to buy opening thousands of stores across Canada, <laughs> but, but that, that's not, that's not the truth. The real way to offset the black market is to embrace those growers and assist them and help them become uh, legal in, in the market. So yeah, that would be number one. Number two would be, um, to uh, to educate uh, municipalities, uh, city councils on on license density, so that yeah. we can all have a sustainable market here. And number three would be um, in BC in particular, uh, the government cannabis stores. Um, you know, they're we think they might be operating at a loss, um, but given their high uh, their high employment wages and their really low margins. Um, you know, and, uh, we're just, they have plans to open up 200 stores across the province. And my question here really is why, why, I mean, we don't, we don't really have a need for them and taxpayers don't, can't really afford to fund, you know, 200 stores, uh, over the next uh, several years, especially given COVID and, you know, the financial state of our provincial and federal governments, I think now is not a good time to be opening, uh, you know, uh, extreme competition for private retailers across Canada or across BC at a
0: taxpayer's expense. I think that's a very, very valid point, Corey. It, it, it's insane. I mean, okay. They, I mean, they already have the monopoly. Every store has to buy from, from the LDB. So I, I wish they would just, you know, let that roll do that really well and, and stay out of the retail and let us, let us play the game. As you say, let's let us figure out the diversity, see if that, yep, that 10,000 population is what one store can sustain. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure, Corey. I'm so glad you contacted me and uh, thank you for having the conversation and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Hey, thank you.
1: Love to come back sometime again.
0: Excellent, take care. Thanks, Corey. And to add a bit of education to this particular episode, I found an interesting article on Leafly over the last couple of weeks and it is on how does cannabis get its color? Why are some strains turning purple? Environment and genetics both play a role in the coloration of a plant. But what exactly causes each variety to look the way it does? What gives black cherry soda its otherworldly color of dark purple with vibrant orange hairs cutting through it like streaks of fire? Let's explore the color of cannabis and examine which factors influence its coloration, why some strains are more vibrant than others, and whether purple equals potent. How did genetics influence the color of cannabis? Well, in order for plants to express vibrant non-green hues, they need the genetic building blocks to do so. These building blocks are called anthocyanins, which are a family of flavonoids that provide purple, red, or blue pigments. These are also found in blueberries, eggplants, red cabbage, concord grapes, violets, and other richly colored plants. Some cannabis strains naturally contain higher levels of anthocyanins than others. As a bit of a sidebar, it seems to me that anthocyanins to color are kind of like terpenes are to flavor and aroma. Ever notice some of your favorite strains tend to express the same colors over and over again? Granddaddy Purple, for example, seems to always carry swirls of deep purples and pastel lavenders. This alternative coloration is indicative of the strain's predisposition to high anthocyanin levels. And it's certainly a quality some cannabis breeders attempt to select for and coerce, if only to make us consumers ooh and ah over pretty colors, Hence the long line of purple strains that includes Purple Kush, Mendocino Perps, Purple Urkel, and many others. Which marijuana strains tend to turn purple, blue, or red? Many strains contain a genetic predisposition for high anthocyanin levels, and you'll often find them under monikers that begin with colors like purple, red, blue, or pink. No, this doesn't mean these strains will always show off fancy hues, but they have a higher potential of doing so if conditions are right. Plants with low anthocyanin may produce a different array of colors in the final weeks of flowering due to another family of molecules called carotenoids. These are responsible for the earthy gold and yellow hues buds take on before harvest as chlorophyll shuts off. How does cannabis go from green to purple? As you might remember from your elementary biology classes, chlorophyll is what gives plants its green color. Chlorophyll is vitally important to the photosynthesis process by which plants absorb sunlight for energy. As cannabis plants mature, they produce less of the dominant pigment chlorophyll, and we begin to see those anthocyanins emerge in a show of purples, reds, and blues. What other environmental factors affect the color of cannabis? Although not all cannabis strains will express purple, blue, or red hues in their lifetime, those equipped with the right genetics may do so under certain environmental conditions. The reason why cannabis produces flavonoids and anthocyanin, researchers have observed, is for protection— as a bit of a sidebar, seems like the same thing again as terpenes. Flavonoid accumulation is involved in many aspects of plant growth, the study authors wrote, including pathogen resistance, pigment production, and protection against ultraviolet radiation, which contributes to the growth of pollen and seed coat development. First, there's temperature purple, red, and blue hues may appear in response to drops in temperature, since chlorophyll production takes its natural pause in autumn as the days become colder. Research on other fruits and flowers noted that higher temperatures destroy anthocyanin production. That same study also found that higher pH levels lead to the destruction of anthocyanin pigments, meaning they tend to thrive in more acidic environments. Are purple cannabis strains more potent? They might be more eye-catching, but purple strains are not necessarily more potent than their green relatives. A purple blossom plant exposed to cold temperature may actually produce less THC. So it's important to keep in mind, as Robert Clark aptly puts it in the Canna Bible, that many traits prove to be desirable only in certain varieties under certain conditions. And now you know, at least you have a better idea of why some of your cannabis exhibits some purple properties. As always, if you have any comments on the program, somebody I should talk to, or something you think that I should cover, let me know. Send me a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. And next week, I've got a very special Cultivar Corner lined up for you. In fact, it's already in the bag. It's been recorded. It's been done. But it's a lot longer than the standard Cultivar Corner. So I'm going to flip it into next week. What happens? Well, I've had a lot of requests to do something other than flour. For example, a vape. Well, I have a vape kit that I picked up. A little train wreck is what we're going to be featuring. And that's going to be on Cultivar Corner next week. But that wraps it up for episode 51 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.